Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Um, we're very happy to have um, Meredith Baxter here. Just let me read you a few things about her. She has been an actress for 40 years and has five children. She achieved early success in the comedy Bridget Loves Bernie, followed by the acclaimed ABC drama Family and the popular NBC sitcom Family Ties. Baxter established the Meredith Baxter Fund for Breast Cancer Research to help support nonprofits in providing free mammograms and follow-up care to women who, don't, who can't afford it. She serves on the board of the Clara Foundation and makes appearances speaking on breast cancer, domestic violence, alcoholism, and general life experiences. She lives in Santa Monica, California, California with her partner, partner Nancy Locke. And before I bring um, Ms. Baxter on, I have been hosting events at Skylight Bookstore for 10 years. And uh, with that, I know that when the author brings their spouse or partner, they just sort of sit there and they've seen this, this scene, the, the reading, you know, over and over again. And we just have to acknowledge Nancy Law for coming here yet again to support her partner. Stand up. There we go. Really, really, I've seen, I've, trust me, I've seen authors and they're great and they're wonderful, but the, the, the author's partner who's tagging along with them really needs some support. That's all I have to say. So <laughs> I see that a lot. So, thank you so much for coming here today. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Meredith Baxter. Thank you, Noelle. I, I actually just egotistically thought, oh, he's going to say something really nice about, for all, after all these years, but something special about Meredith, and it's Nancy. <laughs> oh, well, that's kind of the way things have gone lately. Uh, thank you all for being here. It's a, it's a really nice of you to uh, come all this way, if you happen to come all this way on a, a Thursday night. Um, I really am grateful to Skylight Books for having me. There's, there's three seats right up front here, if you'd like, if you're quite game and can dive in. Um, I'm nervous. Tell me it's okay. It's okay. Thank you. Uh, I'll sign right back here. Um, do you know, uh, my, my book has been out for four months now. And uh, I, I tell you, it's one, it's one of the, writing this has been one of the most difficult things that I have ever done, and, and cathartic in a way, because uh, I had to assemble what I thought I knew about my life, and uh, then write it down, and uh, then send it to someone to say, mm, say that better. I was like, okay. Um, and put it in an order that was that made sense and it was accessible to people. And uh, more than anything, um, I think I learned as I wrote, I I'd be able to I'd write something and I'd say, oh, that's not true. 
and I'd have to go back and I'd present it so it was the full truth of something, not just someone else's point of view or what I thought happened. I had to put in full facts. So it was a... Um, I came to know more about myself and my life in the process of doing it. And then once it was out and had been on the New York Times bestseller list for three weeks, and uh, thank you. I was so jazzed, I can't begin to tell you. Uh, and I started getting feedback from people, uh, some on Facebook, which I, you know, traversed that dangerous territory for the first time because of the book. Uh, but just on one-on-one -on -one and in book signings, I started to get such a strong reaction from people, particularly women, who would say to me, oh my God, you've, you've really changed my life. This is, you know, I, I identify my, with what's going on there. That, you know, I've, I felt like that. Uh, and that was so freeing for me. I had no idea. You know, I... I mainly wrote from a place of having had no voice uh, as a child growing up or, and as an adult, and I picked partners who also saw to it that I had no voice. And so I, I just felt strangled all my life and never really felt like I was presenting myself as a, a full, fully realized person. And then some of the press started picking up stuff about the book because, you know, I wrote about childhood trauma, I wrote about breast cancer, I wrote about alcoholism, I wrote about, um, oh, well, in three marriages and five children, and a 40 career, 40 year career in acting. Um, but what the press seemed to zero in on was domestic abuse. And, you know, I wrote it, I wrote it to be read, but if anyone who knows anything about domestic abuse, it's not spoken about at all. I mean, you just don't talk about what goes on in your house. So when pe when I was hearing the press focus on that, I got very upset and I got scared and I thought, no, 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 this is, this is not right. I really didn't like them focusing on the domestic abuse until I realized, oh, that's what this is about. This is about healing. You know, yeah, I talk about a lot of things, but it's basically about healing and emotional healing that comes from having um, had that, and the physical, the emotional abuse, it just has a corrosive effect on you. So I, I found that this, is, um, that this is a book about healing. And, you know, I didn't think I knew that when I wrote it. And what I've under, come to understand is that um, I learned what I knew as I wrote it, and then once I'd written it, I knew it in a totally different way. And I feel like I own it now. Um, and that thrills me a lot. And uh, because it is about healing, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of getting over and letting go of a belief system that I'd had since my childhood. And um, I, I wanted to read just a small, a very short little passage because it makes me laugh. And uh, I thought it would make you laugh, and that's what I like. Um, and it's from before the healing, as you'll see. Um, I had pretty much had to resort to um, passive-aggressive methods to get out any, um, any anger, because anger wasn't allowed, you know. So you do the, the next best thing, and you be passive-aggressive. Um, and this is a passage... It's at the end of a 15-year uh, marriage to my second husband, and 
he is he took 10 months between telling him I wanted a divorce and him moving out of the house it was 10 excruciating months uh, I had an ulcer I was drinking heavily I uh, I had lesions on my gums and my hair was falling out from stress and uh, so by the time he was walking out the door finally I am beside myself and I'm so anxious for this to happen uh, so that is the landscape behind there's a cat in the room okay The day of his departure finally arrived, and I watched him load up his suitcases and walk out the front door. As his car drove away, I burst into surprise tears of loss and failure. I had wanted so much more, and I didn't know how to get it. Once again, I'd sent my children's father away. I felt like such a loser that this is the best I could do after 15 years of marriage. I was totally unprepared for this reaction. I'd expected to feel joy and jubilation. Free at last, free at last, and dancing in the streets. I must have cried for at least an hour. And then I called a storage facility. And I asked him to come pick up his portion of the furniture, his clothes, everything, the next day. I wanted every reminder of him removed. I was not going to live in a state suspended between marriage and divorce with his furniture and all his clothes until he retrieved them two months later when he comes back from his location job. Recovery from my marriage was going to take me a very long time, and I feel, felt I needed every day I could rest for myself. And finally, doing something in a way that suited me instead of just him felt mighty fine. I went upstairs and into the closet we shared. Much of it was filled with his custom-made shirts and meticulously tailored clothes. He ran regularly and was a pretty fit, handsome man who dressed in a manner that he felt flattered his lean physique. But when I looked at his clothes, this is what I was remembering. Times we'd be traveling in a hotel and the lining of his suit jacket might have come untacked and he'd flick it at me, fling it at me to fix on the spot. Times when he disparaged me for wearing long skirts and boots because of some message I was sending. I was feeling the weight of his arrogance and vanity, and I got really angry. I got a ladder, and I lugged it up to the closet, and perched on the uppermost step, even with the top tier of his jackets and shirts. I moved aside some old corduroy number and found one of his newer, nicer jackets and opened it up, exposing the silky lining. I took my seam ripper and gently snapped every third stitch out of the base of the lining along the bottom. Addressing the back of the jacket, I very carefully snipped about a third, every third stitch in the center seam at the tightest section below his shoulders. I repeated this with a few other blazers and then turned my attention to his pants. <laughs> Loosening back seams where they took the most stress. My fantasy was for gaping holes to occur, not immediately, but once the clothing had been on for a while, in public, miles away from the house, perhaps, and that this would happen repeatedly and unaccountably, striking him in his narcissistic self-regard. My warped satisfaction from this sophomoric act came from years of strangled silence and impotence, and it makes me sad that this was the only recourse I felt I had. In the end, our divorce dragged on for more than eight long years. There were scrutinized in-home visits from child custody evaluators, sessions with court-appointed therapists, rafts of scathing accusatory letters fired off between attorneys. We both used the children as pawns, and whoever had possession of them for the moment 
one for that moment. At the time, I was desperately upset when the court determined that we would share custody. Today, I feel it was, ultimately for the best, but the whole process was awful, punitive, and rife with suffering for all parties. I have some misgivings about revealing so much about my life here, but so many women have been in situations similar to mine. I'm, seeing that by, but I'm hoping that by seeing how I, too, participated in the abusive dynamic, others will recognize the pattern, realize they are not victims, and do have some power, and find a way out. That's it. I was going to ask if you have questions, I'd be happy to answer any questions. Yeah. I have a question about uh, what you said about writing about what was the truth. Mm -hmm. um, I have always been amazed that when I talk to family members of my sister, the truth is so different from my truth right. about growing up. Did you get any feedback after writing this book from your family members or anyone that's in the book telling you that maybe that wasn't? Quite the way it was. Um, I'm sorry. Um, the the question is, uh, did I get any feedback from family members asking, saying that that what the way I was writing it was not necessarily as they had perceived it, that according to their memory. Um, well, memoir is about my memory. It's not It's not like an autobiography where I've gone back and researched and you know taken uh, statistics from everybody and their version and trying to get an amalgam of all those um, points of view. I didn't do that. This is my recollection. Um, I did talk to my brothers just to fill out some stuff because I didn't remember much about uh, my childhood and they helped me flesh some of that out. Um, my children um, of the five, uh, two of them chose not to read the book, which is fine. I, and I understand that to be as a way of, uh, that way they don't have to get between them and them, them, their dad. So if their dad has a feeling about it, they can go, I didn't read it. Don't discuss it with me. And the other three have been fine, so and they've had you know they've had no negative comments about it. I think they were fairly bored <laughs> because it's not about them. You know, I I made I went to great efforts to keep them out of the book because um, two of the kids, not the same, well, uh, one, two of my girls decided that um, they felt that my writing about my life automatically meant I was writing about theirs which is true, and consequently it was an invasion of their privacy. And they had some difficulty with that, so I'm, I'm, I went to as much, uh, as great lengths as I could to keep them out of it unless they were pivotal to something happened, and, and then I never wanted to put myself in the position of saying, um, well, you know, he did this to Molly, um, because I didn't want Molly to ever be in the position of having to answer to someone saying, well, hey, what about that? You know, so basically they're out. I think I answered that. <laughs> yes. Anything else? Yes. Hi, I'm Meredith. My name's Christina. Hi, Christina. I'm a friend of Bill's. Hi. Cool. Um, I was curious if you, in, in doing all this uh, uncovering, discovering, discarding, getting to your core, your truth, um, whether you saw any familial traits, meaning like, did you? Choose your mother or father in your partners. Did you? Did you basically? Like oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, what was, that's what I was wondering. Is yeah. 
Not so much in my first husband. Could everyone hear the question? Um, uh, my second husband, you know, he, he wasn't exactly like my mother, but he was certainly a withholder. You were not going to get anything nice from him. I knew that beforehand. You know, I knew everything I needed to know to not be there. I chose to go anyway because, because of that link. I guess I needed to keep something going, which is something I didn't get from my mother. I was hoping, you know, maybe you'll love me. I don't know. You'll see me. You'll notice me. Maybe I'll call you mommy. I don't know. But... I certainly recognize that. And then my third husband, how many people, how many do you need to have? That's kind of, I realized my third husband was very much like my step, my first stepfather. Um, certainly, um, he was a very pretty man. My stepfather was not, but he was a boxer. They both, they both moved alike phys physically. They were very much alike. And they were both very much into breasts. I have nothing else to say about him. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Yes? Hi, I know a lot of people here are uh, you know, concentrating on a lot of the personal aspects of you, but to have a career that has spanned over five decades in a town where most people are lucky enough to even have like two or three jobs, mm -hmm. is there just one role that you had to hold on, or one mm -hmm. performance of yours that you had to hold on to and put away in a time capsule to be opened you know, 50 wow. years from now, what would it be? <laughs> Well, do you know, I probably have to say Betty. Amen. Yeah, because um, parts like that don't come around very often. Betty Broderick, I, I did two movies about a woman named Betty Broderick. Uh, it was a real life story. She was a, um, uh, a socialite in San Diego who um, was convicted of shooting and killing her husband and his new wife. And... Um, you know, in the first movie, I was, you know, I, I, I did a lot of research. I read everything I could find about her. And I went into the, the set the first day. I think, okay, I know who she is, and I'm, I'm on her side. Okay, I wouldn't have killed the guy. But I understand. I, I understand. She was within her rights in some respect. And that fueled me. And it didn't hurt that I was in, you know, like two and a half years into my divorce with David. And, you know, feeling totally um, without any power at all. And here was a woman who had no boundaries, would say or do anything she needed to do to satisfy herself to do what she thought and had to have happen. And it was fun to walk around in that world where I felt some power, because I certainly didn't feel it anywhere else. And it was actually, the day I got that job, I went to the Mercedes, Mercedes dealership and bought myself a big Mercedes, like a two-bedroom Mercedes. And I didn't test drive it. I kind of opened the door, too heavy for me even to lift it. And I, I kind of sat it and I said, okay, okay, I'll take it. I didn't bargain or anything. I wanted that because I thought, okay, this will drive over his Porsche. <laughs> you know, so getting to play someone like Betty, who actually gets to drive a car through someone's house, that was heaven. That was heaven. I would just say, we, you know, when we were finishing up that first movie, the uh, jury came back and it was a hung jury because she was on trial at that time. So we went, oh, we got to make another movie. Yeah. So like six months later, we went and, and did another movie. Well, in the meantime, I got to read the transcripts from the trial, which had resulted in a hung jury. And, oh, lo and behold, I found that when Betty went to prison, she was, um, uh, she hired a publicist. 
So all the, the articles, all the magazine stuff, all the press that was out there, she put out there. It was all a spin on her point of view. So, of course, I, you know, it was all, you know, I, I was for her. I was, you know, I, but it really helped in a way because I was, I was able to embody her anger plus my own. And it was wonderful. So by the time we went to the second one, it was like, okay, now I really know who she is. But it was just because she was such a big personality, it was still great to walk around in those shoes. Or scuffies as they gave her in prison. Yeah. Yes? Uh, your uh, co-actor, uh, when you revealed that you were having this abusive relationship. I'm sorry? I can't. Your co-actor. My co-actor? On Family Ties, who you revealed to you were having this abusive relationship. Why did you feel oh. that you were going to tell him and not the public? Um, the question is, why did I decide to tell one of my coworkers that I was having uh, that I was in an abusive relationship, as opposed to the public? Well, as I said before, you don't tell anybody. You know, I I was just steeped in shame that I was married to someone who treated me that way, who thought so little of me to treat me that way, and the children, and you know, it was it was it was I, I was just walking shame. I was going to make you think I was great. You know, I didn't want to tell anyone. I didn't want you to look at me the same way. And it wasn't until um, when Chris, uh, it was around Christmas, we were shooting a show, and David had been in London filming for about six weeks. And just an offer. Hi, honey. Um, he, uh, Michael Gross and I were standing backstage waiting to go on. We were just rehe rehearsing some scenes, and he said, Oh! Hey, it's Christmas. David should be coming home soon. And it had been so peaceful. Uh. It had been so beautiful in his absence. You know, the we you know, one someone asked my son once, you know, told my son once, you know, your dad must be away because you're acting like a nice guy. Uh. Because everyone was just so like that when he was around. And so when he said this to me, I burst into tears. Just a at the thought, because I was trying to pretend he wasn't coming back. And Michael Gross misunderstood, and he said, oh, you must miss him so much. <laughs> at which point, I was gone. I just, I just, I became hysterical. And uh, it's not like I intended to tell anybody. I couldn't contain it really any longer. And I, I couldn't stop crying. He took me out of the house, and um, I mean, out of the stage, and we went and had dinner somewhere, and I couldn't stop crying. He called his wife and said, I'm bringing Meredith home with me. And I wept all the way out to his house in La Cañada and spent the night there. Just, and I, I, I told him and Elsa everything, his, Michael's wife, everything. And, then, and it was the first time I'd shared all of that. And um, because he suggested to me that, uh, that maybe you should get counseling, because we've tried it. And I thought, oh, okay. So thinking, okay, I go home armed with counseling. <laughs> thinking, okay, this is going to fly. And uh, so Michael came back, I mean, um, uh, David came back from London, and uh, I told him, I said, if this is going to continue, we have to go to counseling. And he said, well, you're the one with the problem, you go. Mm. So I, I, I went. But um, I think it was uh, the following Thanksgiving I asked him for a divorce. Anybody else? I have a question, actually. I was reading... 
um, about how you'd moved into Santa Monica Canyon, mm -hmm. that beautiful redwood home, and mm -hmm. you wanted a family. You really wanted a family. And I was curious to know, um, what's your concept of family now, and you know, what's that like oh. for you? What's so interesting? Um, I think at the time, the a whole desire for family. Um, We've explored that in your career. You've done shows about it. You've done the whole thing about it. Oh, but shows don't mean anything. It's all make-believe. I, I don't I don't identify with any of the shows uh, that I did like that. But it's interesting because um, David and I were married and moved into this house in Santa Monica in 1974. And uh, I had two kids from my earlier marriage, and they were three and five. Ted and Eva, Eva and Ted were three and five. And uh, I had grown up calling my mother Whitney and my stepfather Jack. And I wanted my kids to call me mommy and I wanted to call him daddy. I didn't care that they had another dad, a perfectly serviceable dad somewhere else. They had to call him daddy because we're in this house. And it created all sorts of horrible problems for the children. But that's, you know, all I could do was see what I wanted for that, uh, for us. And that's what the family was. And, you know, it's ir ironically, I sort of created the same problem for my youngest daughter, Molly. That she had to see family a certain way. That it had to look a certain way for it to feel right. And today, you know, hmm, families with people you love. Um, that sounds so exciting. <laughs> um, and it doesn't matter what it looks like. And uh, maybe I was so desperate for it to look a certain way because we didn't have the love there. I don't know. I probably would have done that anyway because I was a little focused on it. But um, I, don't, I don't think it has to look any particular way anymore. You know, um, Nancy has been my partner for... Um, Six years. I, it's so cool to say that. Um, and I love it when my kids are at the house with Nancy. I like them seeing us together as a happy couple. That makes that thrills me. Not because she's a woman so much, but to see me in a relationship where I'm happy. <laughs> you know, I, I I didn't know that that could happen. And I thought that would that's important to pass on. Not. Not whatever, you know, classic male-female uh, heads of the family or the, whatever those expectations are. I think they don't mean anything. If you see your, your family, your parents in a happy relationship, that's what you're going to follow. And, uh, and I hope you guys have all that. Anybody with any other questions? Ah, yes. Oh, you again. Very inclusive nature. Only because it's been sparked, um, this, this idea of family, I happen to completely agree with you, Meredith, in terms of family being. Today, at 44, my family are the friends that I, my family have created. Mm -hmm. Some of my birth family, I uh, wouldn't choose. Um, I was wondering about your coming out process, given that you um, were married, uh, two men and had children and did the whole, like you said, family dynamic. Mm -hmm. When did you have an inkling that you had the ability to love women? It took me a long time. Do you know, um, 
when I when I was like th two three years sober, I uh, I met a woman in the program who was wonderful to me. It was like, oh, this is a, a friendship like I haven't had, um, where. I, you know, I wasn't used to people really looking at each other and talking to each other and being honest with each other. Honesty threw me up against the wall. I was not used to the kind of honesty I heard in 12-step programs. Blew me away. And I drank it in. And uh, I was able to form a really close friendship with her. And I felt like she saw me. And she had a lot more sobriety than I did. And consequently, she was far more evolved than I was. Um, but I, I learned a lot from her about relationships um, in, ter in terms of parental relationships and stuff. And because I felt so seen and so safe, I, I, I loved her. I just loved her to pieces. And we started a sexual relationship. And But I have to say, it wasn't because... I wanted a sexual relationship with her. It just seemed like the next natural thing to occur between us. I mean, I didn't know what else to do. Buy her gifts? That was going to be next. You know, I, I didn't know. I hadn't, I hadn't really felt like that before. Um, but the difficulty was that uh, she, she fell in love with me. And that, you know, that was a problem right away. Because I realized, oh, this is far more complex than I'd given it credit for. And uh, uh, it took us a long time to work through that. But we had to split up. And I thought, oh, I, I, I have to go be with a guy. I have to go be with a guy. Nothing, no penny dropped for me. I mean, I did not have any kind of awakening. Probably because there was no desire there for me. Um, and that really didn't happen until, uh, you know, I think what had to happen is my mother had to die. Sorry, Whitney, but that had to happen. Um, because I was so under uh, under the burden of whatever I wanted from her, I longed for all my life, and was not going to get because you know that ship had sailed. That she she didn't know how to do it, and I didn't know how to understand that. Uh, so when she died, and uh, shortly afterwards, my two youngest kids went off to college, and so. There was no one up there, and there was no one down there. I didn't wasn't responsible to anyone on a regular basis, and uh, a, a young woman had moved into uh, the, my guest house, a, a, a soccer coach, and um, <laughs> that should have been a dead giveaway right there. Um, and all of a sudden, I was just very aware of where she was all the time, you know. <laughs> And we started going to meetings and uh, going to movies and stuff. And uh, I, I was so surprised at my feelings. Um, at first, I thought, oh, I'm just really interested because she's so cute. And uh, the fact that she's 25 years younger than me, just, OK. Um, <laughs> then I realized she was flirting. and. I didn't understand it because I thought, oh, this is something I'm making up. And then it became obvious that, okay, I'm not alone here. And, you know, that's the way it always starts. And I was, uh, I was really blown away. I did not, I, I had no expectation about that. I hadn't ever thought of myself as a lesbian before. And I guess the thought of it now, it didn't, you know, it was like, okay. <laughs> 
all right, I didn't fight it, I didn't, I wasn't embarrassed, uh, I, you know, it's not, well, I didn't want anyone else to know, but that's the way I'd always lived my life. I didn't want anyone to know anything about me. So this was nothing new. So uh, I was only concerned about just keeping it contained. But I didn't, I didn't have any emotional difficulty accepting that. It actually made a lot of sense with my, you know, that my disconnect with men. Um, and uh, afterwards, people have said to me, "Oh, we've been, you were living a lie." You are living a lie. How can you have been married and having all these kids and not know this? And I was like, well, if you've lived a, an unself-examined life the way I did, actually, I said on, on radio once that, um, that I, if, you live, if you're that unself-examined, I, you know, I could have been a Republican and I wouldn't have known it. <laughs> but there would have been some sign somewhere, I think, but that didn't want that to happen. And you know what was cool? was uh, when I talked to my family, because I didn't really have that much family left. I have my brothers, I have two older brothers, and um, this bevy of children I seem to have, and, uh, and my uh, second stepfather. And uh, I told my kids first. And you know, they were, they were wonderful. And I will always say that they were as accepting of me as I would want anyone to be with their children if they say, Mom, I'm gay. Do you know, they were like, well, okay, we want you to be happy. You know, they don't have any investment in me the way a parent might in a child. But, you know, they just wanted to see me happy. You know, I don't think they cared. And they liked Nancy quite a bit more than they like me, I think. <laughs> and I, I got to tell my, my stepdad was, was the, he was so dear. We were at the Peninsula Hotel. We went to have tea. And I'm thinking, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, how am I going to say this? Oh, God, oh, God. And um, I just said, Alan... I'm dating women. And he said, oh, so am I. <laughs> okay. And that was all. And he was also a huge fan of Nancy's. Everyone seems to be a big fan of Nancy's. I think she'll be signing the books later. <laughs> and Noel there, yes. Thank you. Are there any, are there any other questions? And um, I really appreciate all the questions, but I love this question. I have to acknowledge it. But you're absolutely right. You have had, it must be interesting because I'm sure having your career at times you might have felt like, because mm, it's hard and it's difficult. You're in a difficult business. But this young man's question is, I think, really wise. You have had and are having an extraordinary active career. I mean, you have done some really iconic things. You've been in films that are completely, I mean, you're in All the President's Men, for God. Yes, I was. Child yes. actress, almost, you know. And, you know, and I, I have really admired your work, <laughs> and, and way before I ever knew you, obviously. But um, I'm just wondering, this is an interesting period. For me, as a woman heading towards 60, it is an extraordinary period in the business, because as you well know, it was a huge deal when, in April of 1997, Ellen DeGeneres came out. Hmm. Well, I wouldn't say that we have crossed to a period where it is a non-issue. Um, it is a different. It is a different time. It is a different time. Young people are sitting in this audience that it is not a big deal for them. It really isn't. It's like, oh, okay, you know. I'm wondering how you feel, given that you've had this extraordinary career and are continuing to have it, when you are in contact with other people in the business who are gay and lesbian. 
Do you have a response to that? Is it, I, I'm not trying to lay something on you, but um, it's the period for us, I think, that is somewhere akin to the period of, say, Portier transitioning to Denzel Washington. You know what I'm saying? It's a different period of the way it was mm -hmm. to be an African-American actor in, say, 1956 as against now. Here you are. You're, you're not a lesbian actress. I'm not suggesting that. But you are a woman who has been decent enough to come out and to be tell the truth. And as you're around with other actresses who you may know, oh, yay, we share something. I'm just wondering. It may not be something you've even thought about, but I'm wondering if that has, if you, if you... I hate to say this. I'm not really clear what you're asking. Which, what, as a... <laughs> Meaning, being in the business where for an awful long time people were closeted. Right. Now they're not. You have given us... A, and I'm just wondering how you relate to other actresses who are... And I'm not saying you have to name any names. Who are out or out? Everything. The, the ones that are still in the closet, the ones who are not in the closet. Okay, well, here's the hard thing here. I, I, haven't, been, I haven't worked for a while. I haven't worked for quite a while. And so I haven't been around any, uh, except um, we have one in our audience. Uh, an actress uh, who is a lesbian in our audience. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so, uh, huh? And yes. Well, I you were also in that movie. In that movie. Um, but basically, a comedian. So, so I'm. I'm. Um, I. I don't have that much interaction. You know. So I. I sort of feel like I'm. I've always lived very much outside of the. Uh, acting community. I've never been a part of it. And um, I think I can sort of, sort of even further out now. So I don't really have a um, point of view on that. I'm sorry. I wish I did. That's a good one to discuss. Anyone have any easier questions? <laughs> Shall we discuss that? <laughs> Suzanne, did you have something? I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh. Okay, okay. Suzanne Westenhofer. Westenhofer. Okay, sorry. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Well, then, um, I'm, where, where do you, you do want so? me? What we're gonna, I'm going to move all the stuff out of the way, bring out a table. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.